AI is neither good nor evil. It's a tool. It's a technology for us to use. Oren Etzioni. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hole. And I'm Lee S's. Today we are going to talk about a rather popular topic out there in the world right now, especially with the writer's strike that's happening and just in general. We are talking about AI and specifically the use of AI in creative works such as writing. Now, we could have talked about this a year ago, but the AI landscape has changed so much and it's changing so rapidly that we think now is a good time to talk about it. For the record, everything that we're talking about today is as of the middle of June in 2023. So if you're looking back in our archives and finding this episode, some of this information may have changed since we recorded. And that's largely because AI is rapidly improving. It is getting to be scarily good if you are familiar at all with common sci-fi tropes. But it is a part of our world. It's going to be part of our world, whether we like it or not. So we need to take a look. And to me, we need to decide how much part of our world do we want it to be? And especially how much do we want it to be part of our creative endeavors? Me personally, I think it can be used as a tool But I hesitate really to use it at all for more than reference and just a little bit of help. And I'll get into why later. But my opinion on AI is use it very, very lightly. Like you are a British cook who has not been introduced to any sort of spices yet. My opinions on AI are a little more loose. I am okay with how people use AI so long as it helps you write selfishly, helps you continue to create. My hesitations come more in the fact that, one, AI is guiding creatives instead of helping them when a lot of creatives are going, hey, can you just write this next chapter for me just to get past writer's block? It gives a lot more control to these AIs than it does to us. My other issue is because of the nature of AI, Everything an AI will write is one, based off of humanity anyway, and two, the most likely outcome. It's going to be very hard to surprise anyone because it's the most cliche outcome in your writing. A lot of why we want to talk about this right now and address the pros and the cons of AI in writing is because of both the writer's strike that's happening and a lot of the debate about KDP and Kindle Unlimited and their payment to authors is being affected drastically by AI right now. If you aren't in the US or haven't been on the internet lately, you might not be aware that the writers in Hollywood, the Writers Guild of America, who writes a lot of the TV shows and movies that everyone around the world enjoys, they are on strike until they can get the use of AI out of the contracts for producers. This is a wild oversimplification, but this is a major issue that is affecting our entertainment industry especially. And of course, there is a lot of other arguments in their strike related to pay, conditions, all of that, but a good portion of it is that AI argument. And with KDP, Kindle Unlimited, if you're not aware of that situation, 
there is a record number for the total KDP global fund out there. Yet the payments that individual authors are getting are at an all-time low. And we're finding a lot that the reason this is, is because a lot of scams are using AI programs to generate a bunch of words, not really any good. They're using AI to generate covers, throwing it into Kindle Unlimited, and then having bots go through and read the pages so that they get a large portion of this global fund, taking away the available money for everybody else out there who has actual books on Kindle Unlimited. So it's this really big argument about the impact that AI has on writers specifically. Now, to have a logical, intelligent conversation about artificial intelligence and how it's affecting us, I feel like we need to define a little bit of how AI works. There are a couple of basics we're going to go over. We're going to try to keep it less inside baseball as much as possible to make it accessible to everybody. The first thing you should understand about how an AI functions is it takes large sets of data and figures out what the most likely outcome is. So if I have 20 pieces of paper on the desk and 17 of them are some shade of blue, the AI is going to create another thing on the desk and it's probably going to be blue because there's mostly blue in the sample set so far. It uses a lot of very complex algorithms in order to generate this output, but it's all taken from data that it has available to it. So as it learns based on the inputs that it's receiving, whether it's assistants like Siri and Alexa, every time you use it, you help teach it how to improve. Same way with self-driving cars. Every time we give it an input, another set of data, it improves because it now has an additional thing that it can use in its overall computations of this algorithm. But it's limited to an algorithm. Algorithms are very step-by-step logical. And when we're talking about AI in creative spaces, it can only create based on what it's been fed. It can only create based on the often copyrighted work of authors and artists that it is scanning because that's what it's been given. And then it's outputting something that is similar, but kind of cobbled together based on all of this information that it has. And that's the real danger of using it in a creative space is that you don't know whether the information that it's pulling from has been copyrighted and how much that information has been changed by the AI. And that's a lot of what we're going to address today is not just the ethical discussions about using AI, but the legal issues because it is copyrighted versus not copyrighted material and how all that can be used. Now, throughout the space of the artist world, it's a very hot topic right now. So if you jump into this pool, make sure you do your research because, again, things are changing so rapidly, not only in how AI functions, but how humans are responding to said AI and how it functions. The first part of the legalities that I think is a good step in helping protect us is, in essence, they made it really hard to copyright AI-generated material. In fact, they made it impossible if it was wholly generated by an AI. 
at least in the United States, that's what we're going to be talking about is United States law. Other countries, other places may have different opinions, differing legal ramifications here. But in the United States, the U.S. Copyright Office has officially said that AI cannot be copyrighted. So that means that your work, if you use AI to create it, unless it has been drastically changed or some other thing, you cannot copyright it. And so it cannot be protected against people taking it and stealing it and using it however they want. Therefore, machines and AI cannot be authors, according to the copyright law, because they are just generating outputs and they are not doing copyrightable information. This doesn't mean that you as an author cannot use AI. That means you can't copyright it, but it's not technically a copyright violation by using AI because it's not copyrightable. Therefore, nobody has the copyright to whatever a machine vomits out. Therefore, even though you can't copyright it under your own name, it's still not a copyright violation in and of itself. The creators of the AI, the AI program itself, also cannot copyright it. So you're free to use it, but you can't copyright it. So while technically it's legal to do that, to use it, there's also ethical implications of how AI takes from copyrighted material to inform its creation process. Just for the sake of clarity moving forward, when we say art of any kind, writing is definitely included in that. So if you do want to create something with AI and copyright it, there's a couple things you can do to get there. If you create something with AI, you then need to significantly change it so that it is basically your own creation if you want to copyright it. It cannot be majority AI still. So the easy way in that is to start with something human-made. And this is going to be a recurring theme throughout today's episode. You create it, then use the tool to polish it. You don't use the tool to create. If you start with something human-made and then you run it through a spell check, it's still your story. And yes, spell check is an AI. Don't argue with me on that one. Now, if you, say, paid somebody for a cover design and you want to change it using AI, be very, 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 very careful. Look closely at the license agreement between you and that artist before you go changing anything. For example, the artwork that I had drawn for the Toxic Special Edition that I'm working on, part of the contract is that I cannot change the art. I am not legally allowed to change the art in any way other than putting title and stuff over the top. But the art itself must remain as it is or I have to go to the artist and say, hey, I need these changes made so that it is still her work and credited to her. Now, there are some good uses for AI. I don't want to be all anti-AI. Like anything, it is a tool and you use it well or you don't use it at all. One of the ways that a lot of authors jumped onto this AI bandwagon is using AI to generate writing prompts. It can be very helpful in dealing with your writer's block because it can generate ideas and prompts where you can go to ChatGPT and say, give me a writing prompt for a fantasy story that includes this and this, and it can give you an output, a starting point. 
kind of an anchor point for you to then develop on. You can also use AI writing to help you when you're stuck. You can give it a part of your chapter or a part of your book and ask, what happens next? Give me a direction. But that's dangerous. For a couple of reasons. I don't like it in the middle of your story. If you're using it to say, stir your imagination and just get me writing to turn on that faucet to do my daily writing exercises, sure. In the middle of your story to ask it something that you want to later share with other people, it can be dangerous because at some point you're not the one writing it. You say, hey, finish this chapter for me. I saw someone online say that their goal was to publish 10,000 books this year because they were going to ask an AI, hey, give me a story structure. And then you take that and you put each chapter in, say, hey, write me a chapter where this happens. Write me a chapter where this happens. So you can have a fully written book in an hour, but you're not the one writing it, which is, defeats the purpose of writing, especially if you're on our side and writing selfishly. <laughs> There's also the problem that we mentioned earlier that AI is inherently programmed to go with the most likely outcome. Anything that it outputs is either going to be nonsense because the AI isn't good enough yet, or it's going to be predictable and cliche because all it can do is take all of its data points and say, what is most common, what is most likely for the prompts that I've been given, and then give you that. But if you're an artist, then you're probably like me in that you are naturally contrarian. It's easier to say, no, that doesn't work than to say what happens next and to answer your own writer's block. So if you desperately need to know how to write the rest of this chapter, you can put it into the AI and then read what it spits out and go, no, that's awful. I can write better. Then you write it. You don't actually use the content that the AI chugged out but you use it to make your story better. And I'm going to give one final warning for the use of AI to write. In filling in those gaps that you need, in using it for anything more than just generating a prompt to get you started, using AI to write removes the key element of great storytelling. That is human emotion and connection. Without the human element in the writing process, we lose what makes us feel when we read books. That's my warning here right now of using it to write your entire story. The one thing I will say, though, is AI as an editing tool can be very good. We've been using a form of AI for editing for like 20 years almost. This spring, you and I went up to Seattle for a writing conference. We had a little booth downstairs and we were able to talk to a large collection of authors that we had never spoken to before. This was right as the AI conversation was beginning to enter the writing scene, the arts scene, because most people in that world were more afraid of AI robots than AI taking our writing jobs until around this time. But one of the people there said that they had dyslexia and it was incredibly difficult for them to write. They had all of these stories that were trapped inside and they were able to use AI to make it so whatever they put on the page made sense to every other reader out there. So the AI as an editing tool can be incredibly helpful, especially for people with disabilities. And I will say that 
overall, AI is a great resource for accessibility and helping people who otherwise would not have been able to write actually write. Speech-to-text AI is another really good example for any blind authors who can't type, who can't write. Speech-to-text is giving them a huge opportunity to start contributing their stories to the world without having to pay for a transcriber. Just keep in mind that an AI is using as large a sample set as possible to give you feedback on your editing, which means that if you use the word Lou, it might think you're trying to say LOL. You've probably seen the meme of, I have a spell checker, and everything is technically spelled correctly in this little poem, but none of it is the right form of the word. It's E-Y-E-H-A-L-F. I have a spell checker. So phonetically, it works. Visually, the spell check is not doing the job because it doesn't understand the context and the subtext behind the literal words in front of it. Now, it is getting better. I remember when autocorrect first started being a thing and it was a nightmare. It's still bad. I fight my spell checker constantly with wheel and well and it's. It's a nightmare. I will put in I-T-S, meaning I-T-S, and it goes, oh, you want an apostrophe? No, I don't want an apostrophe. This is not where an apostrophe goes. I often will start a sentence with, were we to do that, blah, 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 as an if-then statement. It sees were, and it goes, no, you mean we're. It's like, nope. No, I (laughs) meant were. One of the things that I really appreciate about an iPhone is you can just tell it no, and after like three times of doing this, it'll just suggest the opposite instead of automatically correcting it. And that's actually a really good representation. This autocorrect debate is a really good representation of how AI won't always be correct with its suggestions. Inherently, these larger AIs are using all of its available database and all of its available inputs to generate something. And thousands of people are using it, adding their own incorrect grammar, incorrect spelling, colloquialisms, all of that that you may not actually want in your story. And then on the flip side, you may want more modern colloquialisms. And some of these AIs are built with very specific and rigid grammar rules that it's never going to be right. Like, I can't tell you how many times Google or Word has tried to make my story sound way more archaic and like research-based than a fiction story because that's what it's created for. All of these grammar-checking algorithms are made to check for what is grammatically correct. And you know we don't write grammatically correct. It's interesting in sign language, there are basically no metaphors, no real colloquialisms. They don't translate well. So in AI, trying to use these colloquialisms it can be very easy for it to screw up and give a completely different implication to what you're actually trying to convey because that literal mindset cannot see the difference between a butt dial and a booty call. (laughs) Now let's get into another aspect of art that influences the writing world, and that is visual art, specifically for use in creating covers and characters. Even just a year ago, 
AI was not that great at creating character art or cover art, and it's still, there's a lot of problems with it still, but it's getting better. It's getting really good, actually. So there is a much larger debate in the world of visual art about when and how we should use AI. There is a person I follow on TikTok who does an AI telephone. He asks it to generate a random picture and then asks a different AI to describe said picture and then uses that description as a prompt to generate a picture. And he goes back and forth and shows how it changes from one end to the other. Super fun way to use the tool. They get a little abstract and weird at times, but every single picture in those series looks like it took hours, if not days, to paint or draw. They look really good. (laughs) And they could be used as a cover of an interesting book. Very easily, it would catch my eye. And there is actually an active conversation happening right now in the bookish world about AI for covers. If you look at the Shades of Magic series by V.E. Schwab, They are coming out with new covers, and it's super easy to recognize the fact that they used AI to make this, and not a very good AI, because um, they're trash. (laughs) No actual cover artist would have looked at those and gone, yeah, that's a great idea. There's one that it looks like somebody in paint just took and drew on a mask over the top of this character's face to be like, yeah, that works. A couple of other things that are just like, this is not a good use of AI in cover design. And then I think they recently revealed a new cover for one of S.J. Moss's books. And in the credits, it's credited to Adobe Stock. And you go to Adobe Stock and you look at it and it is created by an AI account. And yes, they did change a lot of the color, they did change some of the style, but it is very clearly the same picture, the same AI-generated image. Then you run into that issue of it's not unique because somebody else can take and get the rights to this particular image, change it in the very same kind of way, and use it because, well, it's AI art. It's not copyrightable. And that is the biggest hesitation that I have for you as a storyteller is if you're considering using AI to create your cover and let's say you make it big, you get 17 Hollywood film contracts for your books, everything you wish to come true for your writing career comes true. Those AI generated covers will put you in a world of hurt in that situation because anyone can use that exact image for their own book cover. And you lose potency with what you think could be a really good cover because you can't copyright it because it's generated by AI. Now, I will say, I absolutely do not advocate using AI to create any artwork that you use in your advertising, your sales, or your cover. Absolutely do not advocate that because... There is a huge debate in the visual art world about the nature of how AI generates that art. Just like we were talking about the basics of AI at the beginning, where it takes all of the data that has been input to then create something else, that's what AI art is doing. It is taking copyrighted material by other artists that it finds on the internet 
and scraping it together to create what has been requested. But, yes, don't use AI for anything that's marketing related, anything that's in the public eye of you as an authorship, but you can use it for personal use only. Yes, I have used AI, specifically Artbreeder, to develop character references so that I can provide consistent descriptions in my book. So I have a visual picture of what my characters look like. No one else sees that because it is for me, for my use. I created those and then I sent it to an artist saying, hey, this is kind of what I have in mind for how this character looks. So you can then use that to draw me an actual character that has emotion in their face. And I think that's the one thing that, especially with AI art, is that it is not as good at creating those small elements in a character's expression that give it the humanity that we really want. If you look at most AI-generated art, they all have the same bland, non-smiling, meh expression. Or if they are smiling, it is diving into the uncanny valley. And just to emphasize how private these reference photos are, I have not seen your reference photos. I've seen the book cover and the art that you've released and had designed for your special edition. Looks fantastic. But these little elements of using AI to help keep yourself consistent and to help inspire you with your writing the characters should be incredibly private. The more public you make it, the more difficult it is to sort, well, that wasn't actually me that created it. You want whatever you are putting out into the world to be you. Now, we can't have this conversation about AI art, visual art, without talking about Photoshop's new tool that they have in their beta platform. And that's the generative fill. It is scary good. Scary I think what you're good. looking for is scary good. Yes, it is scary good. I was talking with somebody just the other day about this and they knew an artist that had tried to use it to put like rosemary bushes outside of a house that they were taking a picture of and it just put like a sprig of rosemary <laughs> instead of a whole rosemary bush. I've so, seen one of uh, salmon in a river and it's like fillets of salmon. <laughs> yeah, it's not perfect technology. It all depends on the kind of words that you put in there. I have noticed it is not that great at creating people because I saw somebody trying to use it to extend a picture of a guy standing in front of a shed to make it look like he was standing in front of like kind of a beach house. And it kept putting random dudes in this like extra space and they all looked not like real people. It's like <laughs> Picasso, straight Picasso art. But I have also seen it where it can seamlessly remove watermarks, seamlessly remove any sort of copyright stamping, visual, anything like that, with zero work. At least before, there was a knowledge and skill barrier to being able to do that because it's, all, it's been possible since the advent of Photoshop to get rid of watermarks, to get rid of all of this. The issue with the generative fill is that suddenly everyone can do it. The way a generative fill works is you just circle a chunk of the picture and tell it, I want a castle here. Or if you don't tell it anything, it finds what's nearby and sees a bunch of grain because the character's in a field. 
and then fills it with more grain. And as soon as you click away, you can't tell. So if the watermark is there, then you just highlight it, hit enter, and it completely deletes the watermark. It's always been possible to zoom in to a certain extent for all of these kinds of photos to crop out the edges and get closer. Generative fill is making it so you can zoom out. You make the canvas size larger, you highlight all of that extra space, and just tell it, figure something out. And it makes it so the field is much larger, or there's now a mountain there. It's simply highlight a section, tell it what you want there, or if you don't want to tell it what you want, ask it what it wants, and it'll put content in there in the same style. So Photoshop has had a similar tool for a very long time called Content Aware Fill, but that was only using what was in the image as a reference. And it wasn't that smart. I've used it several times to get rid of people in the background, and sometimes it just looks really weird because it's pulling from the wrong parts of the image. With the generative fill, it is creating. It will pull off of its AI database of all of the images that it has available, and it can compare and pull up within seconds similar images to the one that you have and say, okay, based on all of this, this is going to be the likely output. And then it gives you a couple of different options if you want something slightly different, if you want you know, the seascape to go into more corally looking things or more like danger shark things or something like that. It all just, it's so crazy. But it is something we need to talk about and consider as we are facing more wide availability of all of this as an option. And I see the main reason people like AI as an option, especially as indie authors who are trying to do all of this on our own with a very small budget. And that is the cost of using AI to help you write, to help you edit, to help you get character and covered artwork. It is so much cheaper. I get it. It is very tempting because it is so much cheaper. But you have to understand the risks behind using AI instead of going to an actual editor, to an actual artist, and to creating it yourself. I will say running your novel through an AI editor before publishing it, not your best option, but it's still a heck of a lot better than publishing your first draft. That being said, if you want to give your story the best chance you can, to make sure it has the best ability to thrive in the wild, having a human edit might be expensive, especially if your human is half decent at what they do. It's not your grandmother who may or may not know the ins and outs of storytelling structure, but having a human who knows what they're doing actually edit it will make your story better and will make you better as an author. If you just turn something through an AI, you are not becoming better, your story is not becoming better. It's becoming possibly easier to communicate, easier to read, if it's a spelling issue or something basic like that. But as things develop, you will never be able to replace the humanity that makes a story thrive. And that's really the lesson that we want everyone to take away from this, is that AI is neither good nor evil. It is a tool. You need to wield it. You need to decide how it's used. But whatever you turn out needs to be still yours, not AI's. 
And a lot of that comes down to who is making the changes if you're using it as an editing tool. The machine can suggest, hey, I think you mean this word here. But like we've learned with autocorrect, it's not always right. If you just accept every autocorrect on your phone, you're sending gibberish to your friends and family or making me giggle, if nothing else. The AI can suggest changes, but you as the author need to be the one making those changes. Leave the humanity in the mix, especially when your end goal is creativity and originality. Because if you aren't making it, if you're using AI to do it, why are you doing it at all? Isn't part of what we're doing because we want to have fun, because we want to tell our stories, because we enjoy the writing process? That doesn't mean that writing is easy by any stretch of the imagination. AI should be there to help you during those hard times. But your story won't be a true work of art unless you set aside the AI and write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 